I hope and have prayed many, perhaps hours at this point, over you asking you and asking God to help you see with the eyes of your heart who Jesus is, who God himself is, and to see yourself in light of that so that you might not only see but to also see what's really there, to have eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart that responds and reverberates to the glory of God so that you're able to wrap your mind around this. This weekend, young people, here's what I want you to do. We've got three sermons and only three. I wish there were five, but in these three sermons, I want you to stop and stare. And because we have more time than we usually do. I'm going to still try to be brief, but I want to help you stare at the God of the scriptures and hopefully for the first time, see new elements of who he is. Kind of like when you're staring at a diamond. If you stare at a, a diamond and it's, and it's well-crafted, you'll notice that the diamond has many angles and many sides. And when you notice those many sides, you notice they all glisten and glimmer. They're shiny. And that's partly why the girls like those things and partly why you'll buy them for them someday, gentlemen. The diamond is something spectacular because every angle presents a new shining response to the light. The glory of God is like that. You might know the diamond from a distance, but now I'm going to ask you to stare at it, to examine it, to understand it in new and profound ways. And what you're going to see is that in Isaiah 6, we're going to see and experience the ultimate reality, the image behind the image of Christ's glorious rulership. You're going to see a new image of God that I hope, if you're a Christian, stirs your affections and causes you to worship him with new vigor and excitement that you haven't had for maybe months or years. If you're not a Christian, I hope this stirs you and draws you to the God of Scripture in a way that is profoundly pulling, like that you're forced to reckon with this God and forced to lean in, even though he is terrifying. And make no mistake, the God of the Scriptures is terrifying. Let's see the reality together. Please turn your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 6. If you haven't turned there already, I'd like for you to join me. We're only going to look at four verses tonight, which gives us plenty of runway to let this text take flight for us. And it starts after Isaiah the prophet had already been operating as a prophet. God had probably at this point already called him in some sense. He already responded to God's call on his life, but now he steps back and details how God called him into that place. I don't think that Isaiah is being saved here. This is really simply Isaiah coming to grips with who God is and what God wants him to do. And you'll find out what God wants him to do on Sunday when, when Evan talks about that. But right now, what you're going to see is how God fundamentally changes who Isaiah is. And it all starts with a vision. It starts with a vision that first begins with a death. Isaiah chapter 1. I'm still losing signal, bro. Isaiah chapter 1, starting at verse 1. And as soon as I get, thank you, as soon as I get this, here, I got it back starts this way. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Now stop right there. We're going to look at just this one verse and understand a few things that need to be understood. You need to understand who King Uzziah is. He's a king of Israel, specifically in Judah, and he is, was a great king. He had a legacy that was long and, and really good. He was a good king. In fact, for some of you guys, you might look back at the last four years and say, Trump was a good king. He had, of course, he was bombastic and loud and all these other things, but he had good policies that I really appreciate. Well, imagine Trump being in office for 50 years. Wow. <laughs> 
Uzziah was in office for 50 years. Imagine Trump being in office for 50 years and serving. Imagine the kind of connection that the people would have received with Uzziah. They knew him. They grew up with him. They would have seen him be a young man and then an old man. They would have lived his entire life seeing this man rule the nation. And not only that, under Uzziah's leadership, Israel, Judah experienced economic prosperity, national prosperity. They had a revival of sorts under his leadership. But now he's dead. Their long, stable time underneath his leadership had just landed. And in the midst of that, God shows himself to Isaiah, and he does it in ways that demonstrate the contrast between human agency and God's agency. Notice that Uzziah died, but the Lord, he's exalted, sitting upon a throne, and his exaltation is such that his robe, the train of his robe, is filling the entire edifice of the temple. It's not just a short robe. It's something that is going around the entire building, filling the space with his majesty. Who's Isaiah speaking about? Well, let me encourage you to think about this person uncategorically as one person, Jesus himself. I believe here that Isaiah is seeing Jesus, the pre-incarnate glorified Christ. And the reason why I think that is because of John 12, 41. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Isaiah's entire book speaks about the Holy One of Israel. It's not too far-fetched to think that who we're seeing here in this image is not just Yahweh in, in shadowy images. It's actually Jesus, the pre-incarnate Christ, who's being shown and demonstrated here. And so I put it like this. As we think about where this is going to take us, I want you first to see something uniquely true about God. And it's strictly Jesus himself is the real, true power and authority over all of creation. He is the real sovereign king. Sovereign in that there is no limitation to his leadership. King in that he is the unqualified chosen one to lead not only Judah, but you and me. He is the king of all creation. He is the king of the universe. Every molecule and atom that exists is driven by his sovereign decree. He says, and it does. He speaks, and it happens. He is the Lord. <laughs> Donald Trump, God bless him. For years... And he ended in a way that some might say was shameful or terrible, depending on how you understand what, what took place in the, in the national election. But I actually started composing this sermon back in January when we weren't sure who was going to win. I was wondering who would be there. And in God's providence, I wrote something to the effect of Biden may or not Biden, uh, Trump may or may not win this election, but it doesn't matter who wins the election because Jesus is still king and there's no election. Jesus is king no matter who's in office. Jesus is the ultimate reality, the ultimate power source. I went to the barbershop yesterday, and in the barbershop, one of the guys sitting in the chairs was talking to the, actually all of us. He did this. He says, and he had his accent, did anyone here believe in God? Of course, piqued my interest. I looked, and I said, nothing, actually. I said nothing. <laughs> I wanted to hear what he was going to say. And so he started preaching the gospel. As far as I understood it, I gave him some runway, and I was just listening he says, let me tell you something. And I don't know what accent this is. This is the best I could do, so just go with it. Let me tell you something, he says. The Lord 
is going to restore humanity. And I thought, okay, okay, I'm digging, I'm tracking so far. He says, and the Lord's going to do that through his chosen servants. And I thought, Jesus, man, yes. He said, the Lord will do that through his chosen servant, Donald Trump. <laughs> I said, man, <laughs> you had me and then you lost me. Yeah, Donald Trump. And then he proceeded to say how God was actually working through the life of Donald Trump and he's actually going to be reinstalled in office. I don't know how. And he kept, he kept talking for like 10 minutes. And he just talked about Donald Trump. And so I started me thinking, okay, this is kind of the, the issue that we have as American Christians. We conflate the ideas of having the right political views with having a right relationship with God. When that's not really the case. In fact, that's why you get stuff like this. Christians painting pictures or drawing images where Jesus is literally over Trump's shoulder signing legislation. Now, I'm not going to deny the fact that Jesus is obviously ruling and reigning in every way possible. And he is sovereign over every event that happens. But I think it goes a little too far to say that Jesus is literally holding Trump's hand and signing legislation. Or images like this where Trump is hanging out in the Oval Office. Is it not moving? It's not moving, is it? Ah, there he goes. Trump is hanging out in the Oval Office and Jesus is bro-hugging him over the shoulder and just, and he's like, yeah, I got you. you know? it, and first of all, the problem with this, of course, is that Jesus is the one who's behind him and Trump's the one who's supposedly leading. And in reality, Jesus is the one who's doing the leading. Jesus is the one who is orchestrating all things. And if anything, if this image were to be accurate, it should be Trump face down on the ground, shoes off, hair and falling over, worshiping the glory and majesty of King Jesus. That would be a more accurate photo, not Trump saying, good job, stay up there. You do your thing, I'll do mine. Jesus is the real sovereign king. In fact, Proverbs, I like the way Proverbs says it. Proverbs 21.1 says it this way, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. And get this, he turns it wherever he will. Well, hold on a second, Pastor Rod. Biden's in office now, and he's signing legislation that's totally antagonistic to Christianity. You still believe that? Well, let me say this again. The king's heart, the president's heart, the vice president's heart is, is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Now, when you go to the bathroom tonight and you're washing your face and you're brushing your teeth and those things, you might get some water in your hand and you take your hand and fill it up with water and just kind of do this and this and this and this. That's probably showing something that's too much. This, it's not even that hard for Jesus. God can do whatever he wants with whomever he wants. He is a sovereign Lord over all creation. Jesus is the real sovereign king, young one. Let me point out a couple things to you as we unpack this first point. Take a look at this first line. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. I want to make a clear point here. Notice this. On the one hand, you have a great and prosperous king who once was alive and now is? He's dead. And Isaiah sees a contrast. You have a dead king next to an eternally never-dying sovereign king. Jesus is the real sovereign. He doesn't die. Young person, I want to inspire some confidence in you. See, presidents might flex, but as you can tell with our current president, those muscles go away. And as much as people like to make fun of President Biden, let me tell you, if you live as long as he does, you're going to be there too. You're going to wish that there was a, an escalator to Air Force One 
or one of those chairs that you sit in, it takes you up. You know? You're going to get old and die. Some of you guys have impressive muscles. And some of you might know who I'm talking about. Don't look at him. He's going to be embarrassed. Some of you guys have impressive muscles. Your muscles are going to shrink, get scrawny, and no longer be able to support your weight. Some of you have impressive minds. <laughs> Some of you have impressive minds, sharp intellects that are amazingly good at a variety of things. Well, sadly, your brain will also diminish and it will no longer be able to provide words the way that it used to. Again, looking no further than our presidential office. Not that I'm trying to make fun of him. I'm just pointing out the obvious. Governors and presidents might flex. But as all of us will go, we're going to die. Uzziah reigned for 50 years, and Scripture says in 2 Chronicles 26, 15, that he was marvelously helped. So again, he had a very prosperous reign. But when Uzziah died, notice here again, the Lord never dies, but he rules mightily in glory. He never decreases. Your parents are aging, and I think some of you might have noticed it by now. You know, their hairline's receding, their hair's thinning out, and then they're starting to drive a little more slowly than they used to. You're noticing people around you get older. And in fact, when I was last here in uh, 2015 or 16, I had more hair, I promise you. I had more hair the last time I was here five years ago. Now my hair's a little less than it used to be, and I'm mad about that. I'm, I'm mad that I'm even looking at it like, okay, where do I find how to keep my hair? <laughs> like, I don't want to lose it. But here's the thing. You're, you're fighting a losing battle. Everyone's going to die. Everyone's going to diminish. But the reality is Jesus doesn't die. Jesus doesn't diminish because he is perfectly and fully always and ever in sovereign control. He increases in his glory. Remember, the temple is filled with his glory. It can't contain him. It's bursting at the seams with who he is. The Lord doesn't die. Jesus is the sovereign king. That's amazing. He doesn't die. Pastor Rod, but Jesus did die. Thank you for bringing that up. Jesus died once, the righteous for the unrighteous. And Romans 6 verse 9 says he will never die again. Jesus died not because he was weak. He died because he was strong and he died in perfection, not for himself, but for you and for me. What an amazing reality that is. He died once, the righteous for the unrighteous. He'll never die again. He's exalted. He's the ruler. The first line talks about the year that King Uzziah died. Jesus doesn't die. But notice, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. Jesus isn't only the sovereign king who never dies. He's also the king who doesn't need to fret. He's not concerned about what this diplomat is doing or what Syria is doing or what Russia and Vladimir Putin is doing. Jesus isn't concerned. He's sitting on the throne. Now, you're sitting right now and you're not threatened, right? If you were, if you were threatened, if you saw a bear walk through those doors, I promise you, you're all going to stand up. You're going to, in fact, some of you guys might throw some of the girls in front of you like, get me out and try to get out. You stand, <laughs> better not amen that. I will throw you in front of the bear. You stand when you're frustrated or concerned or when you're, or you're, you're getting ready for action. And that's a natural defense for humanity. When you and I are, are on our heels, literally on our, on our feet, we're trying to figure out how to uh, thwart an attack. Jesus is sitting down. 
He's got no worries. He's got no concerns. He's not moved by all the things that are happening around us. Jesus is sitting down because he has all authority and all power available. He's got more power in his pinky nail than all the collective power of the armies in all the world combined. Compare that to our last president, who when he was upset, there was like 30,000 tweets just on that one thing that day. Like Hillary bad, you know what? That was a terrible Trump, I know. But he tweet because he's upset, he's frustrated, and he's trying to get his, his message out there. Jesus is not doing that. Jesus is on the throne sitting down. And the throne, in case you weren't clear on that, the throne refers to his glorious rulership. He is king over all creation. Now, here's the thing that's been happening a lot lately, and I want to talk to this real quick. One of the things that's super popular right now is identifying conspiracy theories. You know, like, oh man, uh, 9-11 was an inside job. When you saw the plane hit the South Tower, there was a light that happened before they hit the tower showing an explosion. And really what happened was not that, you know, uh, it wasn't the Muslims, it was actually us. We bombed ourselves to do this, this, and that. And people like that, like they eat that up. In fact, that's one of the reasons why people uh, like a lot of conservative talk show hosts, because they promote some of that stuff. Not exactly that, not exactly that. Not villainizing conservative politics necessarily. I'm just saying people like cons conspiracy theories. Well, let me, let me burst your bubble here about Jesus. There are no conspiracy theories with Jesus. He knows everything. Like anything that's possibly hidden, he sees with full sight. He's sitting down from his glorious throne, ruling over all creation, and nothing is hidden from his view. He knows your thoughts in your head. Now, in 1984, you have this Orwellian picture of Big Brother listening to your thoughts. Now, that's a scary thought because you, you don't want mankind in your head. But God kind, especially when he's a good God inside your head, that's a good thing because that means there are no secrets. There are no conspiracy theories on the throne of heaven. He knows exactly what's happening. Jesus is seated on his glorious throne. And right now it says in scripture that he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, understand this, young person. God does not have a physical body. God is non-corporeal. doesn't have flesh and bone like you and I do. So when it says that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, what that's talking about is symbolically representing his authority, power, and privileged position. That's where Jesus is. He doesn't die. He doesn't fret. And notice this here. Uh, I keep losing connection. Sorry about that. Notice this here, he's high and lifted up and the train of his robe fills the temple. Not only all of these things, he doesn't diminish. He is increasing in his rulership, his authority. I mean, it's not like he's gaining more territory like a, like a king would have over uh, another country. It's just that his glory fills the earth. And as we continue to age as people, as we continue to go through time, more and more of his glory is being displayed. He doesn't diminish. His presence fills the temple. And not only that, the temple is not enough. The temple is only part of that because he, the, the train of Israel fills the temple, but you're going to see soon that his glory fills all of creation. All of creation. He is the real sovereign king. And these are only three reasons why you might understand that and believe that more comprehensively. I want you to see this. A crew followed a famous, or I don't know how famous she is, celebrity, followed the celebrity through a mall. They staged this in order to see what kind of response they would get from her fans. You'll notice here, 
as she makes her way through the, through the mall, these people are beginning to lose it. Like, I don't know, if you guys saw her at the town center, would you start following her with your phone? I don't know. Yeah, okay, a couple of you. I know Ryan DeMotto's a big fan, so he would probably follow her. <laughs> Joseph Lopez is a big fan of her as well. Anyway, I want you to notice the way that people are responding to her, okay? Notice the way that they're uh, just lauding her and taking pictures. You can't hear the audio, but what they're saying in the background is, hey, Billy, hey, Billy, over here, Billy, take a picture, Billy. Billy, come take a picture with me. And, it, it, and I know some of you are already figuring out what's happening here. Some of you are already figuring it out. But even though she makes it through, I don't know how many minutes, this is a 15, 20-minute tour, she eventually makes it to outside where she starts taking pictures with people. She's next to them. She's putting her arm around them and saying, let's take a picture together. And so she's smiling for the cameras and they're snap, snap, snapping away. When, of course, the punchline is what? It's not Billy. It is a Billy lookalike. You done been deceived, homie. <laughs> Billy Eilish in this video, I don't know who she is, but... If you look closely, maybe you can kind of figure it out now. If you, know, if you know what she looks like, I guess. I don't know if you know. I really, I couldn't tell. But I know some of you would. So easily for our eyes to deceive us. You've seen it in the opening images. You now see it again where people are, are fawning over this fake Billie Eilish. And yet this is the world that you are in. There are people and celebrities that are vying for your allegiance. But the thing is that they're fakes. They're not real they are forgeries of the real thing. Every time we look at people like this, what our insides are yearning for is that greatness. I want to see someone great. I want to be around someone powerful. We're, we're like magnets just drawn to people like this. And it's sure, part of it is, you know, they're celebrities because they have great music or artistic value. But the real thing that shows what shows up inside of us is that we are... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we're irresistibly drawn to greatness and power. Now, here's the thing. And I, I, I don't know Billy, and if I did, I might say this differently, but while there are pretenders all over the world, there are no contenders with God. He is the true, true celebrity power, the true great being that you are truly drawn to. The, the things that you are drawn to with our celebrities are hints, foretastes, and shadows of the true greatness of God. Young person, I need you not to look at the world around you and start following people like they're somehow going to fulfill the needs of your inner life. Now, I remember that, that article that you and I talked about a couple weeks ago where Instagram uh, celebrities and, and TikTok celebrities are the people that we, we go to for uh, spiritual counsel and advice. And some, some of them have good stuff, right? Some of them say things like, oh, I like that. That's, that's interesting and enjoyable and, and encouraging. But what you need to do is realize people die. Celebrities die. Instagram models and Instagram influencers or TikTok influencers, they have double lives. One of them actually, as a vegan, was caught eating a bunch of meat. Like she was, her Instagram thing is all about being a vegan and how the health benefits of that are far better than anything else you could do. And she was caught chomping on a steak. Like, just be honest. Steak is better than veganism. We all know that. Just say that. <laughs> you amen all of that and you miss so much other stuff. You amen that. <laughs> I have to work on you guys. I have to work on you guys. Look, young person, don't commit your full trust to people. That's what I'm trying to get at you. I need you to see Jesus is the real sovereign king. He's the one you're looking for. He's the droid you're looking for. That's a terrible liner. Um, 
don't go to other things. Don't go to the substitutes. Don't fall for the fakes. Go for the one who is the true king of glory, who never diminishes in glory. You guys, there's so many opportunities to follow others. Go to the one who knows all, who never grows weak, who's not boring. Jesus is the true glorious ruler. Verses two and three, I want to show you now how people, uh, not, excuse me, not people, how creation responds to this glorious ruler. Take a look with me, verses two and three. Above him, so Jesus is seated here, and above him now stood the seraphim, special class of angel. They're not mentioned anywhere else in the Bible. This is the only time they're brought up, and their name likely means something along the lines of burning ones. They're angelic beings that have a fiery presence about themselves. Don't know what that looks like, but here's their description. And we don't know how many there are, by the way. I don't know in your mind if you're imagining two or three, but we don't know. There could be countless myriads of angels here, but in any event, each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one called to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Pay close attention to some of these things here. You notice that what's happening in this imagery here is that God is revealing himself for who he really is and these uh, special class of angels, however many there are, are recognizing the brilliance of this man, this exalted being, God, and they're saying, I can't even look at you. And these angels, by the way, are what? They're perfect. They're perfect. They're not fallen angels, and so they've never sinned, and yet they can't even look at God, and so they cover their face. They cover their feet, or as some... Uh, they're covering the part of their body. And there's a couple ideas about why they're doing it this way. But let's just say they're covering themselves in humility, recognizing I feel exposed before you. I can't be my full self because uh, your glory is too great. It's too powerful. And there's something about his holiness that is awful, almost, uh, dare I say, painful. He's perfect in his, in his majesty. He's perfect in his radiance. And they call to one another. This is interesting. One of two things is happening here. When they call to one another here, they're calling to one another, holy, holy, holy. Either they're kind of doing this call and response thing where this half is singing and then this half is singing and they're doing it back and forth. Or they're both mutually, or however many of the angels there are, they're mutually praising God and they're saying, holy, holy, holy. And they're responding saying, yeah, holy, holy, holy. No, holy. Like they, they can't get over it. You know, we get upset when we hear worship songs that are the same seven words 11 times. It's like, can we sing something different now? Like, this is boring. No, but in heaven, they can't get over it. Because when they're singing it, it's not like they're saying, oh man, this is just, ah, can we, I gotta go somewhere today. I don't, can, we, can we wrap up this chorus now? I gotta go. No, they are so awed by the beauty and majesty of this Lord that they never get bored of singing about his holy perfections, his terrifying and awful holy perfections. And I'll tell you exactly what I mean by that. Point number two, experience the glory of his awful holiness. Use the word awful in the way that is probably not traditional. You think of the word awful like, oh, gross. No, awful as in full of awe. The way that it was meant to be used, right? Full of awe. It inspires a full sense of awe inside your soul. And in the word awful, there's also that sense of terror, when something is fearful, you might say, oh, it's awful. It's awe. It's, it creates that sense of dread inside of you. And I sense that's kind of what's happening here. In, these, in the presence of God, his unmitigated glory, these heavenly beings who are perfect just don't know what to do with themselves because they're just shook to the core with who he is. 
like being in the presence of a celebrity. I, we just talked about fake Billy. Have you guys ever been in the presence of someone like spectacular? Someone like a VIP or some, you know, someone who's high and mighty and just has a lot of power? I met one of my childhood heroes uh, not too long ago. And like, I just, like, like I'm taller than him. I'm probably a little stronger, I think. And so even though I was physically bigger, like being around him just felt like, I just feel small. I felt like a kid again. Like, oh man, I don't know what to say. And I have to get tongue tied. And I, you know, hi, my name is Rod. <laughs> I just got weird. I got weird and awkward. I thought, man, I want, I want to make a good impression. But meeting him gave me that sense of like I'm near greatness because I, I truly idolized and, and not in a sinful way, I don't think. I idolized this, this person back when I was younger. So meeting him was kind of crazy. That's a little bit of what it tastes like in this passage here when the angels are seeing the unmitigated glory of God and saying, man, this great and powerful being is expressing himself in ways that I can't even mentally fathom. Let me point out to you three quick observations about these beings in God's presence, okay? In God's presence, above him stood the seraphim. They stand before him. And I want to point out to your attention here, they're not sitting, okay? <laughs> Oh, thanks, Pastor Rod. That was insightful. <laughs> they're, they're not sitting. They're standing. Great. No, that's important though. Okay, remember your parents taught you. Like, when, okay, guys, hopefully, uh, when a lady enters the room and you're sitting down, what should you do? You should stand up, right? Oh, yeah. And, and if uh, your grandparents come along and they're coming over for dinner and you show up with the ball cap, what should you do? Take it off, right? That's, that's the way they roll. In fact, I'm getting hot, so I'm gonna take mine off. So, there is the sense in which when you respect somebody and when you want to show them deference, you stand. If royalty came walking in, you would stand. If President uh, Biden uh, or President Harris came in, you would probably still stand, even if you have different political opinions about them. The point is, you stand for people that there is great respects and, uh, respect and honor for, even if they're sitting, which is exactly what's happening here. And notice in Revelation 4 verse 8, you have this image in heaven again at the end of the book where you see the same situation played out. Revelation 4 verse 8, the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, same kind of situation here, and full of eyes all around and within and day and night. They never cease to say, look at this again, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. They never cease to say this. They're standing at attention. They never cease to sit because they are never bored with who he is. Now, let's just be honest for a quick second, young one. You're bored with God. And that happens far more than you might care to admit, right? You get bored with God because in your mind, God is one dimensional. God is a black and white figure that doesn't excite or arouse your attention because he seems just so blase to you. Heaven sees God and never gets bored of him. So the question you have to ask yourself is, what does heaven see that I don't? And why is my vision different than what heaven sees? Angels have respectful attentiveness. They are paying close attention to who he is and they're responding with accurate, adequate praise. Holy, holy, holy. The Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come, they can't help but worship and praise him. This next section here, I wanna show you uh, how the, not only do they uh, have a certain posture, they're respectfully attentive, but also I wanna show you the way that they're processing this event. I think I, hold on. Are you, you're not saying, nope, okay. 
here we go. There we go. You got that. Okay, they're processing it this way. Six wings, and with two, they cover the face. Two, they cover their feet. Two, they fly. They are, uh, they are covering themselves in a kind of a reverent awareness. There is a sense in which they see God, and they are aware that they are uh, categorically different than him, and they are not worthy to be in his presence. Again, even though they are sinless beings made by God who never once have left his presence. Even still, they find themselves saying, I can't even fathom looking at you. And I know if I were to look at you, I would probably perish the moment I set eyes upon you. And so what you have here is a reverence, a fear, a respect, and is aware of the, the difference between who God is and who we are. God is categorically distinct. There is none like him. No analogy, no, no connection, no like, oh, he's, uh, there's no simile. God is different. Scripture repeatedly affirms this. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you? Majestic in holiness. And we're seeing that right now. Majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders. 1 Samuel 2, 2 echoes this idea and says, there is none holy like the Lord. For there is none besides you, and there is no rock like our God. He is categorically different. There is nothing and no one like God. He stands above the rest. He is the one to whom all creation will bow. He is above and beyond everything and everyone. He is greater than you or I could even possibly fathom. And now, if you're a musical-minded person, we see the crescendo in heaven. Okay. There is now this uproar into this climax of praise and adoration for the king. They sing to one another. They say, God, <laughs> can you take me back one? Thank you. I need a clicker, I think. They call to one another and say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Uproarious, thunderous praise. This is not uh, sit down in your chair and say, okay, holy, 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 Lord God almighty. No, this is something cataclysmic. This is earth-shattering, life-changing kind of praise. And I'll prove that to you in a second because what's about to happen after they sing this is gonna rock your world. They're singing to him and they're saying truths about God. They're not bored of it. They sing his praise and what happens? God is pleased by this. The angels show us not only respectful attentiveness, reverent awareness, but they also show us something that we should emulate in our worship of God. And I'm pressing it and nothing's happened. Go ahead and send me two, two forward, please. Too far. Way too far. Let me exit out here, bro. We good? Nope. Go back. Um, yeah, let's just stop here. There we go. Okay, I got it. I think I got it. For now. You see superlative adoration, God's holiness being demonstrated. In, and what's happening here is that uh, to say holy, holy, holy is essentially to say uh, uniquely, individually, uh, powerfully holy. Okay, you and I have underlined, bold, we have italics, we have a lot of, thank you, sir. We have a lot of different options here. Man, go back. <laughs> We have a lot of different options when you and I are trying to make emphasis about what we're saying. Uh, if you're using your iPhone or your Android device, 
which is far inferior. You might put an emoji to kind of get some context for what you're trying to communicate to somebody. But in scripture, they didn't have those. What they did have is uh, repetition. So if you were going to go to a particularly sticky pit, you would call it a pit pit. Okay, That's how you would do that. If you're going to talk about a particularly pure gold, you would say gold gold. If you're going to talk about a specially holy person, you would say holy holy. But if you want to say that something is absurdly beyond your ability to comprehend holy, you would say, holy, holy, holy. And guess who this is applied to? God and then who else? None else. That was a trick question. You answered right, whoever said that. No one else gets the application, holy, holy, holy. God alone receives this terminology. And to say that he's holy is to say at least two things about him. And I've already been dancing around it. Number one, God is categorically distinct. He is not like us. He is separate in ways that we can't fathom. But the second thing it speaks to is his moral and ethical perfection. God is uh, undeniably perfect in all of his goodness. There is not a spot or stain or sin within him. He is all light and no darkness. He is all good and no bad. He is all perfect and no defect. There is superlative adoration for him, and rightly so, because he is absolutely great. He is wonderful in all his ways, and it's not just visible in heaven. Think about this with me, okay? It says his glory is over all the earth. Okay. The earth is holy. It's separate unto God. God made it for himself. But then if you kind of zoom on in, you can go to the holy land, which of course is Israel, right? You have Israel, which is the holy land. If you want to go into an even closer circle of holiness, you might go to the holy place, the temple. If you want to go even closer into God's holiness, you might go where next? The holy of holies. See, the idea here is that God's holiness is unmitigated and that it goes everywhere in all, all places in all creation. But it is concentrated in certain areas where he chooses to make himself manifest and that's where you get images like this, where you have the holy place in that first room, and then you have the holy of holies in the next room. And yet, it's in the holy temple, and it's in the holy land, and it's in the holy creation that God himself created for his honor and for his glory. Man, this is awesome stuff, guys. Experience the glory of his awful holiness. God is unique. He's amazing. Uh, he's uh, the angels show us respectful attentiveness, so should we. The angels show us reverence, awareness, we should do the same. The angels show superlative adoration, we should too. And guess what? We have like 37 songs lined up after this service that you get to sing along. Like it's actually three, but it feels sometimes like 37, and I understand. But we get a chance to respond to this. Keep this one in mind, okay? Keep this in mind. You can see some of this in our modern-day celebrities. Um, celebrities have these things called writers. When we brought uh, citizens to Revival a couple years back, they gave us this contract called a writer. And in that writer, it offers all the things that, they have to, that we have to do in order to host them. And so like, it's, uh, like they ask for a meal before their performance. It's like, okay, we can do that. We did that. They asked for pretty not standard stuff, like nothing crazy. But if you look at the writers for some other people, you might notice a little bit of a difference. For instance, um, if you wanted to see Bieber's writer, um, one, in 2010, uh, the writer was unique for having a lot of snack food desires. That was 2010, okay? 2010. 2018, here's part of what his writer uh, contract is now. He wants 10 luxury sedans, a massage table, a private jet on standby for any travel desires, okay? Sounds pretty legit. <laughs> 
that's part of my rider now. When I preach, <laughs> when I preach, I say, same thing. I'm on a private jet. Okay, that's Bieber. Uh, how about Beyonce? Beyonce has in her rider, her contract, that you can't have Coca-Cola in her, in her area because she's sponsored by Pepsi. She only wants Pepsi there. Okay, okay, I kind of get that. But not only that, she also, <laughs> this is funny, don't laugh. She also wants heavily seasoned baked chicken legs, breasts and wings with hot sauce. Oh, and the dressing room must be exactly 78 degrees at all times. It's Beyonce. It is kind of warm, yeah. Selena Gomez, last one, last one. After her 2014 breakup with the Biebs, she, she, she made this a rule in her writer. No one could be called Justin in her vicinity. So those crew on her staff that were called Justin, you know what their name was that weekend? Wasn't Justin. <laughs> Wasn't Justin. That's one thing. Um, and also, <laughs> uh, for whatever reason, she also demands chicken pot pie and pickles. There you go. Chicken pot pie and pickles on her, on her rider. Okay, so here's the thing. Celebrities kind of know what they're worth, right? They, they understand like, oh, if, they, if you want me to bless you with my, uh, my, my company and my talent, then you need to kind of submit to all these desires that I have. And the greater a celebrity you are, the more absurd your, your demands can be. Because people are going to be like, oh, yeah, we want you no matter what, 10, 10 jets or 10 sedans and a private jet. God, we got you, Biebs. We'll have you. And we kind of expect celebrities to act that way, right? Because they're, they're humans and they're full of themselves. And so we expect these kind of weird, these weird things. But here's the thing. They're human, but God is not human. And God does not think too highly of himself. So when you think about God saying, okay, no, I'm going to create a, a class of being whose only job is to worship my glory. You might in your head say, well, that sounds pretty ridiculous. I mean, who really needs someone to worship them all the time? God does. And here's the thing. God realizes that this is totally fitting. Like, Selena saying you can't be called Justin in her presence, that's okay, it's a bit weird. She's human, and so we kind of bristle at that. But in the, in the divine presence, it makes total sense that God would say, I am exalted and you must respond to me in that way. God does not allow us to approach him on our terms. That would be absurd. He's royalty. And he's not only royalty in a general sense, he is the singular royal being in all the universe. Young person, you need to respond to this God. You need to see him for who he really is and maybe shudder a little in his presence. If I could just give you one application from this whole massive point that I just went through, it'd simply be this. I would love for you to allow yourself to worship him afresh this weekend. Okay? to actually worship him. I just gave you an image, a picture of heaven about how the angelic hosts worship him. Like, we can do better, I think. And we've talked about worship before and about how often it becomes an issue for us because, you know, we get bored or tired or whatever else. But let this weekend, let's try something different. Let's give God the greatest possible praise we're capable of because he deserves that and you're made for that. Last verse here. Is it responding to me? No, it's not. Okay, try this. Uh, okay, here we go. Last verse, verse four. At the response of their, their worship song, Okay. Imagine Joseph gets up here, he starts strumming the chords or you know, on the, the keys or whatever, and suddenly the building starts shaking. 
Like you start noticing the beams in the ceiling start to crackle because they're moving. And you start hearing sounds of the building swaying back and forth. And suddenly the ground beneath you starts trembling because Joseph is singing one of the most amazing worship songs in the world. That'd be pretty intense, right? It's not in our budget. We tried. But here's what happened in Isaiah 6 verse 4. It says here, at the response of their song, and the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. This is not a worship concert. This is God's unmitigated presence kind of being distilled into this smoky atmosphere that's shaking the foundations. Why? Well, because not only is this God incredibly good, his presence, his power being displayed, but the smoke is partly, I think what you're seeing here is God's consuming fire, his presence. He's so good. Anything nearby is almost being incinerated by his greatness. The fire of God's presence, the consuming fire of God's presence brings the smoke of judgment. The smoke that I think we're seeing here is a smoke of God's seriousness, his war against sin and evil. It is a smoke of his judgment. The whole building trembles. Smoke is released. I want you to paint, and I want to show you this. I want to show you this back in Exodus chapter 19. Exodus 19, verse 18. Now, Mount Sinai was wrapped in, there it is, smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain trembled greatly. You see some parallels here, right? There's a connection between these two passages. It is God's presence, his severe and yet beautifully captivating presence. You ought to tremble before that presence. Tremble before his absolute, flawless, perfect, unmitigated righteousness. I want you to see that. I want you to see with your eyes and stare at who God is and let your heart be moved afresh. What do you see? What do you see? Oh, hold on. They didn't move. Okay, let's try this again. Let's do it. Oh, mind blown. When you see it, your paradigm changes, right? You saw the face, but then you saw the word. And suddenly you saw what was there and you also saw what wasn't there. And now you can't unsee it. If we see right, if we experience right, we will be terrified before this gloriously wonderful and perfect deity. We tremble before his absolute righteousness. Why? Well, thank you. We tremble before his absolute righteousness because here, here's, here's the truth of the matter, young person. God is not safe around sinners. We're going to start this point tonight. We're going to finish this tomorrow. God is not safe around sinners. King Uzziah in 2 Chronicles chapter 26, verse 16, this is the same guy we're talking about today, the one who died. King Uzziah ended so poorly. Here's what happened. He thought it would be okay for him as the king to saunter into the temple and to offer uh, incense on the altar of incense, which if you'll notice here, the altar of incense is just before the veil, which leads you into the Holy of Holies. And who's allowed in the temple? 
priest? Yeah, the tribe of Levi. Can kings go in the temple? No. And yet Uzziah, because of his pride and because of his presumption, walks into the temple and goes right up to the altar of incense and decides to offer incense there. And was God happy with that? No. You might say God was incensed with him. Lame, I'm sorry. I'll take it back. I'll take it back. God was mad and struck Uzziah with leprosy, immediately judged him for the sin of presumption. Now, let me just quickly draw back one second. Presumption. Young person, have you ever been guilty of presuming upon God? Oh, God's good with me. God's okay with my sin. Yeah, I sinned again in that same area, in that same way. And am I fighting it? No, but God's okay with it. God is gracious. No, God is holy, young person. Recognize this first and foremost. God is holy. You got King Uzziah. And now you also have, not only that, you have this situation where Uzzah is carrying the, the Ark of the Covenant, which if you remember the last graphic, the Ark of the Covenant was inside the Holy of Holies. Uzzah is carrying it okay, with David. And, and what ends up happening in the situation is that they came to this situation where they, where they should have been carrying it like this. In fact, you'll notice here, Ark of the Covenant has ringlets on the side because what you're supposed to do with the Ark of the Covenant is carry it on your shoulder. So you have a priest on either side carrying it on their shoulder so that if they enter into rough territory, they still got it. It's not going to touch the ground. Well, in this scenario, Uzzah is carrying it and the Ark is being placed on an ox cart. Okay, it's on a cart, not being carried on the shoulders like it's supposed to. And so when it starts to tilt and fall over, Uzzah stretches out his hand to uphold the Ark of the Covenant to prevent it from touching the ground. And what happens? God instantly slaughters him. Immediate execution. Really, God? Was it better to kill Uzzah than to let the Ark of the Covenant touch the ground? Yes. In a sense, God is making a commentary. He's saying essentially, yeah, you may, touch, you may touch the ark with your hand, but let me tell you this, it was that you are far more polluted than the ground that the ark would have fallen upon. Your sin makes you far worse than anything that would have been found on the ground, even if it were, I guess in some case, it could have been excrement. The excrement would have been holier than Uzzah's hand. God strikes him dead instantly. God is not safe around sin or sinners. One more example of this, you might be familiar with the story of Nadab and Abihu, who are the sons of Aaron. They approach God with strange fire. And what, what the scripture says is that they came to him doing something of their own accord. They had some kind of idea in mind about how they wanted to talk to God, how they want to interact with God. They came to God saying, we'd prefer to do it on our terms. We don't like the way that you prescribed it. We would prefer to approach you with our own ideas. We're going to improve this situation here, God. And so they come before God with strange fire and God consumes them in a moment. God consumes them. Then Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord has said. And by the way, these are Aaron's sons, right? These are Aaron's sons who just died. Imagine your brother and sister or your two brothers, your younger brothers, older brothers, your older sisters. Imagine them dying instantly. Your parents would be bereaved. They would be wrecked. Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. Sanctified is a word that means essentially holified. I will be held as holy before them. And before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. 
God's holiness means that he insists that we approach him on his terms, not ours. Understanding God requires understanding his holiness, his otherness, his absolute righteousness, fearing that and responding as we should. One of my old leaders was a guy named Art Price. He's one of the coolest guys I ever met. Loved him. Uh, he was a great leader when I was about your age. And Art Price was an electrician. Skilled in his field. He knew electricity like the back of his hand. The guy had just been doing it for so long. He had been the kind of guy that everyone would ask for help when it came to electri electrical problems and issues because he was just that good. I don't know what happened that day. But he must have, for a moment, fell asleep at the wheel, so to speak, where he took a second to not think about what he was doing. And in a moment of carelessness, he touched two wires that he should not have touched, and he immediately died and lost his life. Elec electricity coursed through his body, immediately killing him. See, scriptures are kind of like this, saying, look, there's flashing signs saying, uh, prohibited, warning, high voltage, get too close and be careless and reckless, you're going to be crushed before the holiness of God. God is not safe around sinners. He is not a domesticated pet. He's not the kind of, uh, the kind of God that you turn your back on and, okay, yeah, you're, you're a safe God. You're like a kitten. I can, I can be myself around you, kind of hang loose. No, God is meant to be respected, honored, and revered in the same way that you wouldn't just go play around electricity and take a fork and be like, oh, let me just put it in here and see how that goes. You're not going to do that. You should not do that with God because God is high and lifted up. He is the kind of God that you should esteem greatly. Playing with electricity and taking electricity lightly is kind of like having a low view of God. It's playing with fire. It's assuming that God is all, uh, uh, yeah, he's all powerful, but he's not all that great. Young person, one of the things that will wreck your Christian life is your pride. Thinking that you are better than you are and God is lower than he is. In fact, that's one of the reasons why when you sing Amazing Grace, it's not amazing. For, for, for many of you, Amazing Grace is average at best. It's acceptable grace, maybe, but not amazing. It's amazing when you realize who God is and who you are. It's amazing when you understand that this high, exalted, lofty God desires to have a relationship with you at great personal cost to himself. It is amazing when you are not proud in your soul. That's when grace is amazing. It's not amazing if you think God is a kitty cat. Don't be careless with God. Don't be proud near God. And don't presume upon him. Young person, there is far more in front of you about who God is than what there really is in front of your physical eyes. Let me encourage you tonight to see with the eyes of your heart, to see with fresh eyes who God is, to pray and beg God, show me who you are. Help me to see with clear, unmitigated vision. When I went to the doctor, for the first time, to get my eyes checked, they did the glass thing in front of my eyes. And he said, one or two, you know, one or two, he went this whole game. And at the end of that appointment, I realized I had blurry vision. I didn't know I had blurry vision until he showed me. Before that, I was driving thinking I was pretty good. In fact, after I got my glasses, I was afraid. I'm like, man, I was unable to see nothing. I couldn't see. I got LASIK later on, which is why I don't have glasses now. But uh, the idea here is that we can see and not really see. We're seeing something, but we're not seeing as we should. We're not seeing what's really there. 
Tonight, as you interact in your small groups and as you sing these songs in response to God, I want to encourage you to see afresh. Pray for this, young person. You need God to do this in you. Pray and beg God, let me see. Show me your glory. In fact, there's a song that says that. Show me your glory. I don't know how the song goes, but show us your glory. Thank you. Sing that. Maybe not when we're singing a different song. <laughs> Sing that in your soul to God, and God is ready and willing to answer. See more than with your eyes. See with the eyes of your heart and see the grandeur and the beauty and the majesty of King Jesus. Let's pray. God, we desire to see you. We desire to know you. We don't want to play church don't want to pretend like we got ourselves all together when we know we don't. We don't want to go through another RWE weekend and just play the role. We don't want to have a, a mountaintop high and then walk away from this and then let ourselves go through the same emotional responses that we're used to. No, God, we want to encounter you for who you are. We want to see you do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. God, please show us your glory. Let us see you for who you truly are tonight and this weekend. We beg you to do this, God. In Jesus' name.